Hi, I'm Barnaby Cook and welcome to The Exit Plan, a podcast for business owners that are interested in learning more about how to sell their business. Each episode, I interview someone who's bought or sold a business, either a creative agency or a production company. The conversation gets under the skin of why they wanted to sell or were looking to acquire, how the deal was structured, how they agreed upon evaluation, and what lessons they learned along the way. Here we go. Cool. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. And I just normally start by asking you to introduce yourself. Yeah, fair enough. Thanks for inviting me first. I really appreciate that. So my name is Erwan. And I've been creating a digital marketing a video production agency back in 2017. And we scaled this company really quickly with my business partner, Charles. And we decided to sell it in 2019. So really quickly. And from there, I'm a business coach where I help people to do exactly the same, moving from self-employed or solopreneurs and scale their business to reach what they are looking for. What were you doing before you started the business and how did you get the idea to start? So good question. My background is absolutely not designer or video production or anything like that. I've been doing a business school in Paris. And then I moved quickly to working as a sales at JP Morgan Chase. So my idea was really to work in sales and generate a lot of money as quickly as possible. And I realized entrepreneurship was the best way to do that. So really quickly, I entered in this world by hiring a first coach. And I was checking a bit the market and looking for opportunities. Where were the best opportunities? today. And I started with a bit of SEO. I started a bit of website creation. And really quickly, I thought the video was booming. 2017, it was crazy. So I started to question a bit the market and everyone was interested. So it's where I signed the first clients and I hired the production first in Spain, then a bit worldwide. And it was the beginning of the company. And how did you meet your business partner? And why did you decide to go into business with him? We met in Paris, thanks to the business school. I see. Okay. And what was it about him? Why did you decide to start it together? Did you have sort of complementary skill sets? We were best friends and we're actually still best friends. He was the best man in my wedding. But I was really the extrovert sales guys. And he was a bit the creative engineer, spending hours on Excel and shit. So he was the marketing guy, clearly. the lead generation guy. Okay, cool. So how did you get your first client? How did things kick off? So my first clients, I got them in a, thanks to a process that we never replied again. It was literally cold calling, you know, the old tradition sales system. So we cold call people and we're like, hey, we're doing videos. We just launched the company. Would you be interested in getting a video for our website? So we signed the first clients like that. And my business partner, the guru of the marketing, managed to automate stuff on LinkedIn to reach a bunch of people. And it's where we managed to receive a huge amount of demand and we're like, wow, okay, the market is really, really mature. We're going to make something crazy. And it's where we send the next client. Who was your first hire? How did you start building the team? So as we scale really quickly, we managed to get a lot of clients and he was working in the marketing like lead generation and I was on sales all the day, like making calls after calls, but we need to produce all of the videos, right? So we had to take care of the project management, which is something we never consider and it's time consuming, it's requiring a lot of energy. So this was the first hired. 
It was Shannon and we hired her as a product manager. I think she was like 19 years old without any experience. We hired her as an intern in Barcelona and she works days and nights. She was in love with the project. We had an amazing relationship and she's still actually working in the company even after the exit as a director of the company. And you had very quick growth, right? So can you just talk me through, it was only four years, right? So how did it grow over that time? It was even less, actually. It was three years and we went from zero to five millions before the selling revenues. The growth was absolutely crazy. We moved from zero to 50 employees. We changed like five times offices. It was crazy all the time, always in the rush. And the thing is, we were always focused on getting new clients. Cash was king for my business partner and me, and it's the politics and the vision we share with everyone entering the company. Even a designer was cash-oriented and production-oriented. So this was clearly our success. It is incredible growth. So how much of that came from the Spain office? Because I know that you expanded internationally as well. Yeah, so we were based in Spain because... We moved there for lifestyle and it's amazing there, but as well to grow the team, it's great because it's international. But the first market we're in was the French market because I'm French. So it was easy for me, French, Belgium, Switzerland. Then we expand quickly to the UK, any English speaking country. So we hire the first English sales and it's where we managed. We realized we could expand worldwide and we went a bit in the US, a bit in Asia, but 80% of our market was in Europe. And so did you have people in each of those countries? So how did you service those jobs then? This is the true beauty of Barcelona. You have a lot of international people that are moving to Barcelona or Spain in general to have the quality of life, but they are overskilled and they're ready to work for a small project like we had back in the time. We had some people leaving big company in Paris with high salary, like high responsibilities. They moved to Barcelona and they worked with us without a team, without more than 2K salary per month. Obviously high commission, but this was an amazing thing to have. So the team was all in Barcelona? Everyone was in Barcelona. But the sales were happening all over the world? We did everything from Barcelona. We had the sales team in a department, but we had everything done through video call. So what happens if you got a shoot in Asia? How did you get a crew out there? Usually we had a process in the production where the project management team had the responsibility to grow relationship with partners worldwide. So let's say we wanted to target the German market. We didn't have anyone there. So we had the German sales and the German project manager looking, sourcing for talents locally in the main cities like Berlin, for example. And as soon as we had a client signed there for a video shooting, we had already someone in place. Sometimes we had the project manager, not the sales, the project manager traveling to Berlin. And so what type of work were you doing? How much of it was live action video? How much was animation? And what type of clients and what type of projects were you doing? We started 100% with 2D animations, motion design. Then the demand was higher and higher with live footage. So I guess at the end we were in between 30% live and 70 motion design. And we realized the best product for margin and everything was three-dimension videos. So I think it was a 10% at the end of the project we had. Okay, so it was mainly animation, which makes it easier to sell it elsewhere and do it in Barcelona, right? Because it's much easier to do 
we had all the production team in-house. And as soon as you have an overflow of work, we had a partner in Karachi. We built a small studio in Karachi with an amazing guy. So we had a lot of help from them, but you can find freelancer everywhere. So it's super easy. Okay. So by the time you were sort of looking to sell, you had about 50 people. What was the mix of the creative and the sort of sales side of it? It was 40% sales team and 60% production team. Okay. So you really, really built a massive sales engine and that kind of explains the phenomenal growth. To be fair, even today, if you ask me about the artistic director job or designer job, I have no idea. We delegate all of this to the project management, the director of the production, and we are still 100% focused in sales, you know? So I think it's clearly why we've been scaling so fast. So tell me a little bit about that sales team. Like what roles were those people doing? Because I guess what you had about 20 people, 25 people working in sales. Who was managing them? What were they doing every day? So we had two teams, one for the lead generation. Every day they were on LinkedIn or emailing or whatever marketing strategy was in place. Usually it was a mix of interns and employed people. And then as soon as they were generating leads, we had a process where it was directly in the agenda of the sales team. The goal we had is to divide because we were not big enough to have like SDRs or, you know, the typical sales process. So we had some people generating leads and filling the agenda of the sales to make sure they use their time as efficient as possible to close as many deals as possible. So a typical day for a sales would be you start the day, you have your agenda, you have three calls in the morning, four in the afternoon, you have to get ready and you have to close them in one shot. It was their ideal day and that's it. And as soon as the project was closed, you move it to the project management and you make some account management once in a while, but that's it. Like this, it was really like closing, closing. Okay. And were you managing the sales side of the business? I was managing the sales team and my business partner was managing the lead generation, the marketing team. All right. So now tell me a little bit about the sale. Were you looking, were you building the company to sell? Were you, did you put it on the market or did you get approached by the eventual buyer? We actually didn't know when we launched the company first, it was going to be such a huge success. <laughs> and we didn't know, like, if you ask me in 2017, like, what's going to happen? I was like, okay, maybe we're going to have one employee or, or two, but that's it. So we didn't even think of selling a company. I didn't know it was possible. But what happened really quickly is we enter in more complex and challenging situation. And the one that question ourselves of what should we do, either exit or keep investing in the company was human resources. Because we were super young. We had this relationship with our team where we were their best friend, we were their father, we were their whatever, you name it. And as soon as you move to 20, 30 employees, you enter in more complex relationship, in a more complex organization. And I didn't have any training. Back in the time, I should have invest in a coach or someone to help us organize all of this and structure the aggressive growth. And it's where we were a bit burned out with uh, my business partner with some human resources issues, challenge. And we decided to exit the company to protect ourselves and to ensure that we will have financial freedom for life as well. Okay. So did you then put the company up? Did you go to a broker? Did you list it for sale or, or what did you do? Good question. We didn't know 
how it works. So we first call a M&A cabinet. I don't remember his name, but really salesperson trying to close a deal on the first call. And we're like, okay, so what we're trying to do is triggering interest for these guys. So maybe we should back up and, and think a bit on how we do that. So we had several calls with different M&A consulting agency. We actually went to Paris. Some of them were like, no, guys, you're too young. You're not interesting. You're not interested for us. Some of them were trying to close us. And then we decided to apply our exact sales system, not to close new clients, but to find a potential buyer. So we talked to a lot of people that were curious, potentially interested. And it's when we had a random coffee with our landlord, our previous landlord, where he was in love with our project and we had a good relationship. He's actually a good friend now. And he was telling me like, look, one of my clients, he was a lawyer as well. He had a law firm in Barcelona. And he told me like, Erwan, I have a client who is a friend who has a crazy translation company and they are looking to invest and buy agencies to scale their organization. We're like, perfect. Let's have a meeting. And that's simple. We met this guy. His name is Burnaby as well, like you. Super smart person. We had a great feeling. It was natural. So that was it. They had a need. We had the perfect solution for them. And then we had to agree on all the term and everything. But yeah, that is it. Okay. So that's interesting. So you went to, so you talked to lots of M&A advisories, decided, hang on, we can do this ourselves, then put your sales team onto it. But actually, in the end, it just came through a personal connection from your landlord. I think, you know, it's a really good idea to, if you have a good sales process, to use that process to identify potential buyers. How long did you try that for and how much interest did you get? It went so fast. Honestly, it went super fast. From the moment we wanted to sell until the moment we had the LOI, I think it was three months. Right. Okay. So you did, so really the sales team didn't have too much of a chance to generate that much interest from elsewhere. Yeah, the sales team was never really involved in this. It was really like we did that a bit hidden in our office. I was doing the calls and Charles was doing some contact, and but that was it. Okay, cool. So you have this conversation with, is it Barnaby or Burnaby? Burnaby, exactly like you. But it's actually Barnaby. That's amazing. There are not many of us. Anyway, <laughs> so you have this conversation with him. So can you talk to me a little bit about how the deal was structured, what the mix of upfront was and earn out and all of that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it was really basic. As well, we didn't know anything. We didn't have any lawyers or people telling us what the writing or, you know. So they offered us, we agreed on the price, which was kind of easy, actually. And then they really wanted us to stay in the company because they loved as well our sales force. They discovered we were super aggressive with the numbers. It was impressive. So I think they were interested for us to stay in the company to keep growing all of this. So we had a contract of 50% of the selling price at the beginning, and the rest was a mix of payroll, gross margin bonus, commission. So we still had to keep an eye on uh, the gross margin on the production. And as well, commission on the global revenues we would attract in the video production. And it's super smart because it's where we had to leverage our solution to their sales team. The buyer, the company was Transperfect. They have 600 sales rep all around the world. So imagine it's like 
selling your solution to a bunch of people. And I think it's super smart. So that was it. 50% at the beginning and 50% in earning out. And you were doing 5 million euros, were you, in revenue at the time where it came to the sale? Yeah. And we scale it to 10. We almost double one year after the acquisition. Oh, really? So how did you achieve doubling the growth? We had an amazing sponsor inside of the buyer organization. He was an amazing sales guy. He knew everyone. He had already huge clients like Amazon or like huge clients. So to be fair, the merit is for them. <laughs> we just had to pitch, you know, present the solution. We were just there. Okay, so we can do that. We can do that and arrange a bit there the, the contract they had with them to implement a bit of videos. But it's clearly thanks to them. You know, you don't have to give me details about this, but I'm just interested in how you count, like roughly what was your profit margin at the point where you sold? And did you work out the price as a multiple of your profit? So we worked the price based on the revenues. That's quite unusual, right? Because normally it would be a multiple of the profit. Yeah, the EBITDA multiplier. Yeah. It was a really complex negotiation because the growth of our company was if I try to draw it with my hand, was like this, you know? We invested, yeah, we invested a lot in the last months, years. So obviously the margin was a bit lower, but the revenues was skyrocketing. So it was complex and we were super young. So it was complicated as well to make projection, but as well, they were a bit scared of what's going to happen in three years and so on and so on. So the best deal we had, it was to agree based on the revenues. And what was it like? So it was it all happened very, very quickly. What was it like on the day that you closed the deal? Do you remember what happened? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We remember perfectly. We spent, I think, in total about 10 hours in the notary because we had the buyer is a US company, right? So we had all lawyers, everyone in Barcelona, a notary office, and they were in the US and they had a lot of issue with the security, bank transfer, money laundering, all of this. So it was really, really tiring. At the end, we were just like, let's cancel this and get a beer. I'm tired of this. It's a lot of tension. So as soon as we signed and as the transfer was done and everything, we went with Burnaby. We were looking to get a glass of champagne and to celebrate a bit. It was super late. We were tired. But we managed to find a cool place. We had a drink. We had actually a bottle of champagne. And then with my business partner, we were like, okay, we have to celebrate in a rewarding way. I'm not at all materialistic, but we went to Rolex, jewelry in a Passage de Gracia in Barcelona. And we asked for uh, the typical oyster Rolex. And we engraved on the back of the watch the day and the logo of Propulse Video, the company we just sell. That's a very nice story. That's, that's great. Because I think for a lot of people, the process can get very drawn out towards the end. And by the time it comes to closing, they're just like, oh, <laughs> you know, I just want it to be over and done. <laughs> the due diligence was killing us, honestly. And I think when you get bought by American companies, they are not so strict, you know, they can close their eyes on some... Uh, but even if it, they were kind of chill, it was a massive pain in the butt, yeah. What kind of things were causing a problem? Were they asking for evidence of systems and processes or documents that maybe you didn't have? Or? We didn't have anything like administrative documents. I don't know if I can say this, but all the licenses of all the software we're using, we're a startup, so half of them were non-existent, you know? 
So we had to rush and it was super like annoying, stressful. But at the end, the honesty paid because we were like, hey, honestly, we don't have a license on that. Oh, okay, no problem. We're just going to buy them. Just say you don't have the license and we're going to we're like, okay, so let's play the honesty game and, and see, see what happened out of it, you know? Because we didn't have like huge things to hide or we didn't have like cadaver to hide. So how long was your earn out? Was it two years or three years? Three years. Yeah. And tell me a bit about the integration. How did your team integrate into TransPerfect and how was the experience for you? It was smooth at the beginning. We had a sponsor, as I said before, we had a sponsor in the US who came several times to Barcelona to help us. The production team we had is exactly the same today. I went there a few weeks ago to say hi, and it's exactly the same, the same process. And this is amazing. What was a bit more complicated was to integrate our sales team and our sales process to theirs, because obviously they are a huge sales machine. As I said, they have 600 salespeople and they don't have a lead generation department like we had. So all of this team was smoothly getting out. And our sales team, most of them, we had a really aggressive commission system. A typical startup thing. If you close a deal, you have 10% commission and so on and so on. So they had uh, easy, high revenue. And obviously we had to adjust the buyer commission system, sales contract, which is not the same at all. It was a rewarding contract where you have to reach a specific amount of revenues to trigger the first commission. So it was really complicated. And my team didn't really understand. They fought it at the beginning. So to be fair today, I think 100% of the sales team I had is no longer in the company. I think it was the idea as well of the buyer to keep the production and the clients and the process and to train and educate their own sales team into selling our solution. That's interesting. Yeah. And I guess the buyer has to go into that with open eyes because they would have looked at the commission structures for your sales team and they must have known that that wouldn't have worked with their commission structure. So they must have been aware that that was going to happen. I mean, you know, that is a bit of a shame, really, I guess, for all of that sales team that happened. And that's something that people always worry about, right? In an acquisition that people are going to lose their jobs. I don't think any of them were affected. It's part of the sales job nowadays as well. You know, you bounce back really easily and they lived pretty an amazing experience, to be fair, of scaling a company from zero to five millions, experiencing an acquisition. And with this, you go pitch whatever company and they're going to say, okay, it's kind of sexy and attractive. Yeah, we can work with you, you know? It's an experience. It's a life experience they've been experiencing as well, which I don't think they are affected by it. Tell me a bit about TransPerfect. What's their main business? They are the world leader in translation. They are based in the US and as well. They are really famous for their growth, super aggressive. Name a company and it's going to be one of their clients. Okay, it's interesting. Yeah, you just wouldn't expect, you know, if you had a video production company and you were thinking about potential buyers, I don't think you would really think of a translation company would be. <laughs> not at all. And it's where you discover an, another industry translation is not at all like just translation, what you think about. But they are buying a bunch of companies because now they are one of the main providers, for example, of Netflix in terms of subtitles, voiceover, because they are doing all of the written translation, but the voice translation, like Siri, for example, they are working with them to translate 
like all the artificial intelligence and so on and so on. So yeah, it's a really interesting company. Your, your business partner, what's he doing now? He decided to run another agency with his brother, a really small project where they are doing lead generation, what he was really good at, with some clients, mainly in Australia, I think. And we're still really, really close friends with each other a lot. And I decided to get out of this corporate agency world for lifestyle questions. And now I'm coaching and helping other people to do exactly the same as we did. So maybe you're familiar with the new info product business model where you have your course online and then you have a bit of mentoring, a bit of coaching to help these people to get in the right track. And is that specifically for video production people or any agency owners? So obviously, a lot of video production come to me like, hey, I want to do the same. <laughs> so this was to start with my main clients. I think 80% of them were uh, video production freelancers, self-employed or like small agency. And now I'm trying to have a bit of everything, but mainly some solopreneurs, you know, all of these people that are full of experience and want to exit the corporate world to get on their own. I don't know if you're familiar with the solopreneur's term. It's mainly all of this profile. You know, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are production company owners or, or creative agency owners. What kind of advice would you give people who are, you know, thinking about selling a business? What should they do to prepare their business for a sale? Ah, it's a really good question. First of everything, patience always pays. I got lucky because it went really fast, but I'm super duper happy and grateful I didn't sign with this first M&A company. I think they were asking for, I don't remember, but it was insane. The amount of money they were asking is absolutely insane. And I don't think they deserve this amount of money, to be fair. So be patient, talk to people, be open and honest about the fact that you're selling your company, find your reason. Yeah, don't rush into the first one, the first buyer for a shitty price, for a shitty condition, because you will regret it. Is there anything that you think you would do differently next time? Yeah, for sure, obviously. <laughs> there is many things, but I'm going to try to select one. The first one, the three years contract with the buyer is too long. I think if you can shorten up to one year, one year and a half, it's enough. Because at the end, it's like... You're still there, but mentally you're not here anymore. You just have to talk to your sponsor or to the whatever boss you're going to have. And you can feel the dynamic is not so exciting and you're a bit useless, to be fair. Another really great advice I think is really, really important is be ready to have the investor mindset and prepare this. Because we made a lot of mistakes fiscally talking regarding taxes and everything. And I should have anticipated all of this by just talking to an advisor, really simple things. And be ready to have this capital and to optimize it and invest it the best you can. When you say having that capital, what do you mean? Like within the company, you think about reinvesting the profits in a sensible way? or, or... Reinvesting like whatever capital you're going to receive because you receive, for example, my mistake, I'm going to be transparent here is we didn't anticipate and we receive all the uh, capital of the company personally. And one of the things you should do is clearly having a company and receive the capital in the company because we paid 50% taxes on 
everything we received to start with. That's interesting because in the UK, we have something called business asset disposal relief. It's not a very sexy name, but basically means when you sell the shares in a company, you pay a reduced level of tax. You only pay 10% tax on the first million. They're probably going to do away with that in the next election. But for you, it was just income, was it? It was recognized as income. It was income, yeah. UK, you're much better than us in taxes. <laughs> well, I wouldn't know. Don't know but yeah, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, we got like typical, I think, 40% bam. But it's fine. At the end, I'm happy to pay my tax. I love Spain. I love the country. So there is no problem. But you can optimize and save a bit of money if you want. Cool. I think that's all the questions from my side. Is there anything else about the process that you think might be interesting for people to know? I think we covered everything. Yeah. Maybe one last advice. When you join the buyer, when you exit the company, but you're still working, make sure to get some sponsor inside of the buyer company. If it's a huge organization, obviously, to have someone that actually loves you, love your project and seduce them, create a really friendly relationship with them, travel to see them. And because without the sponsor we had in the US, to be fair, we would have struggled to scale and to make the integration such a success. Congratulations, you know, it's a great story. It's pretty amazing. Oh, that's inspiring for any person trying to exit their company or selling their agency. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, very interesting to hear your story and congratulations. And I hope the coaching thing goes well. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to the Exit Plan podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review to help other people find us. If you're wondering what's next for you and your business and want to chat about an exit plan, connect with me on LinkedIn.